0: Hey, thanks for listening to The Highlight, a podcast about the beauty and wellness industry hosted by myself, Juliana of Deco Miami, and soon to launch, Suki. Whenever I have conversations with other founders in the beauty industry, I think, wow, I wish we could have recorded that. And that's exactly what The Highlight is. has been shaken up with immediate calls for action against the systemic racism that exists in the industry. Attention has been brought to the lack of BIPOC brands represented on the shelves of major retailers, as well as the lack of representation in leadership roles in major beauty brands, among other critiques. If you're just paying attention to the back end of the beauty industry for the first time this summer, all this talk of race probably seems pretty abrupt and quote-unquote political. But actually, the conversation of race and beauty has come up multiple times in the recent past as brands fail to navigate this, and then the industry and consumers just move on and the cycle continues. In this episode of The Highlight, I'm talking to Elizabeth Davis, founder and CEO of Shadavi, a vegan hair and vitamin brand, about some of these past mishaps that happened in the industry, how they were addressed, and why today's conversation seems different. We're also going to chat about the influencer industry, BIPOC creators, misconceptions around Black-owned brands, et cetera, et cetera, and this is going to be a really fun one. Elizabeth, thank you
1: so much for being here with me today. Hi, Juliana. I'm so excited to be on your podcast, and I'm very excited about this topic to give my opinion, so thank you for having me. My pleasure. Just to kick us off, can you tell me a bit more about Shadavi and what the brand is all about? Sure. So Shadavi is a plant-based brand that I created in 2016. That's when we first launched our products. And so we basically have a systematic products that focus on giving your hair, your skin, your body life and longevity.
0: So you're very familiar with the beauty industry and, and how long has your brand been around?
1: Well, I actually launched our first flagship products, which is the hair elixir and the hair supplement, the whole food hair vitamin. Um, We launched that in 2016, February 2016. And then I actually worked on my brand about a year and a half prior to that, developing the products, developing the branding and all the colors and getting the manufacturing together and all that good stuff.
0: Awesome. Okay, so that segues perfectly into my next question, which is about Fenty Beauty launching in 2017. So you were in the industry at that time. And regardless of whether or not you had a beauty brand, you would have been aware. Everyone was aware of Fenty. Yes,
1: everyone.
0: (laughs) Everyone. So the beauty industry got totally rocked when Rihanna entered the scene with Fenty in 2017, offering a starting lineup of 50 foundation shades. Other brands jumped on board and were all very vocal about adding to their foundation ranges, and it all kind of started to feel like a PR stunt just to get press. But then we suddenly stopped hearing about inclusivity, shade range, and everyone was on to the next thing. The conversation fizzled out. Why do you think the industry's attention span on race issues was so short in 2017? And do you feel that this conversation happening right now in 2020 will be different?
1: Well, I definitely think that it depends on um, maybe more of the media, right? And what's being focused on in the media. Like what's going on now is kind of a perfect storm, so to speak, to shine light on these type of issues on inclusivity and having brands including all shades and ranges of colors from range of hair types to range of foundation, like with Fenty Beauty. But for my brand, it'll be specifically more in the range of hair types and products that work for various hair types, right? And then also for various skin types too. So I think that this probably fizzled out in 2017 because of media coverage and because of press coverage. And really people only hear about what's being covered in the press most of the times. And so I just think that people have to keep their foot on the pedal when it comes to what they want to hear about. We all have to be vocal about that. And I think if we do that, then we'll see more of what we need to see in the media.
0: For sure. Do you think in beauty that we're gonna keep talking about this at the same, the, the, the momentum is just going to keep building or do you think that there will be sort of like a tapering off eventually?
1: Well, I think that, um, let's see, how do I put this? There may be some tapering off, but it will be up to the consumers and to the everyday person to keep the media focused and to keep the focus on the issues and the, so- the social justice issues that we want to see change in. And then the same goes for what you want to see with the brands that you are purchasing from. So I think that social justice is definitely a component and sh- social impact is, je- is definitely a component that most brands have to start thinking about incorporating into their business strategies. I definitely think that with social media, things have changed as far as people being able to voice their opinions more. Usually, most people would just voice their opinions to their friends or family or people that are in their immediate circle. But now social media, you can voice your opinion and voice your feelings on Twitter or on Instagram or on Facebook or, or wherever. Right. And so with that being the case, it's definitely time brands are going to start listening and they have started listening to the outcry of the customer and the consumer.
0: Sure. To build off of that, too, I think that like looking at some of the actionable changes like pull up or shut up, drawing attention to who is sitting on the boards of companies, who's working at companies and also Sephora's uh, 15 percent pledge. And I believe that other retailers are following suit, pledging to carry black owned brands on their shelves and more in proportion with the
1: actual population in the United States. Well, I think that's important for sure because the African American population is, we spend money on various things. We like to look good. We like our hair to look good. We like for our skin to look good. We shop at Sephora, and I live in Atlanta right now. And so when I go to Sephora, that's a majority of who I see in Sephora or in these various stores are. African Americans because of the population here in Atlanta.
0: Right, right. So it only make it only makes sense. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Sure. What's on your sh- shelves should be a reflection of your customers. Definitely. My point is that those are definitely more long term or shorter, long term actionable calls. And you know, I I hope that like there needs to be follow up. You can't just say you're gonna change and then. That's the end of it, and then you know you walk into a Sephora or a target three weeks later, and boom, it's done. like you know there needs to be accountability so i I hope that media and consumers demand to be in the know about what's going on with those and the other um, initiatives that brands have pledged as well for sure So my next question, you can't talk about the recent past of mishaps without. Tarte's Shape Tape Fiasco, not so long ago. To refresh your memory, Tarte released a concealer product in 2018 and only three of the 15 shades were for medium to dark skin. I found an article where a year later, the CEO addressed the issue at a launch event for the same concealer with more shades. And she said, quote, how did we miss the mark so badly? Sometimes you just have to press the reset button. So, my question is: It seems like Tarte thought of this as like an oops are bad. And is that the right sentiment when brands screw up this hard in relation to like mistakes like this? And, and also, how does a brand move forward in a genuine way after they make an error like this?
1: So, I definitely think that it's about transparency and with your consumers. And so, Maybe I think addressing the consumer's concerns more swiftly is definitely important. And then also, instead of making it a oops is, okay, yes, this is a oops, but how can we avoid this in the future? Who do we need to bring to the table to make sure that we have inclusivity?
0: Right. It seems like they needed their, their pull up or shut up moment
1: two, two years ago. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Um, Because like, like Tarte, I like their products. They have like this really good highlight that I like to use. (laughs) (laughs) Let me not digress. They definitely have to. And really, honestly, I was not aware of this mistake that Tarte made um, until honestly, you just mentioned it, right? But but that just goes to show you how different today's conversation
0: is from to I said this was in 2018, because I mean, there have been so many call outs in the past few weeks with brands, how they, how they treat their employees, the lack of representation, just like little systemic racism, uh, like built into company culture, like everything, people are just going at it. So the fact that you haven't even heard of this until now it's crazy cuz like this was a big thing i mean like i thought like this was a problem it's a big company you know
1: <laughs> how long ago did this one happen though this was in 2018 january 2018 right so this is 2018 so remember like everything is really being called out even more now right right in 2018 2017 and even before then it's like oh, oops, we made a mistake. Let's call it out again, you know, (laughs) sweeping under the rug type of thing. And so now I think that people are kind of fed up. And so they're not allowing you to sweep under the rug. And so there's power in numbers. There's power in your voice. And I think that the consumer has a lot of power to call things out that they see maybe as um, just plain wrong, right? Or morally wrong um, and ethically wrong. Because as a supporter of a brand, I definitely want to know that you're thinking about me when you're making decisions on your future products, right? So if you're launching a new product and I've been supporting your brand and you didn't even think about the basics of, hello, I need a concealer too. (laughs) Right. And then the consumers calling them out, that's, that's just the right thing to do. And I think it's the brand's responsibility at that point to recognize their various consumers and make sure that they're represented too. I definitely think that the consumer and that not just us as african-americans but our friends definitely need to show up right <laughs> of all races absolutely and i think that we just have to keep our keep being vocal at this point because you know back in 2017 2018 prior to this year i think a lot of people Especially as black women and African-Americans, we have felt um, silenced and ignored. Like what you're saying does not matter or what you're saying does not how you feel, your feelings or what has happened to you guys or your race throughout history in America. That's all over with. It's kind of like move on, get over it it's not a big deal, right? So it's a lot of minimizing going on. And so really that's not reasonable to, or caring to minimize someone else's feelings or minimize how a whole group of people have been treated or are being treated or the biases that we go through as a whole group of people or we experience on an individual level because of the shade of our skin or our hair type or things like that. Um, and so I just think it's important at this point that we continue to be vocal about how we feel and the change that we want to see. Absolutely.
0: I guess my, my last question kind of around going back to Tarte a bit. So Tarte publicly apologized on their Instagram stories about the Shape Tape range. And in that same period, they were actually hosting an influencer trip. And it appears that there was an overwhelming white influencer attendance. Do you have any hot takes on how the beauty industry views black African-American creators and influencers? And moving forward, what do you want to see
1: from brands in regards to influencer relations? Um, I definitely think that the media and that brands should be inclusive or, of of Black influencers, for sure. Like, with Tarte, I'm not sure specifically what this event was, but... It was called Namaste, and it, there was just, like, some images from an article that I
0: saw, and it was, you know, had a bunch of influencers doing, like, yoga on a lawn. It looked like a tropical,
1: <laughs> at least, this kind of situation, but...
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. Give <laughs> a little more context. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, definitely. I mean, black girls like yoga too. Okay. <laughs> we want to go and do yoga. There you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so because I'm actually going to have at the end of this month an event that we're putting together. It'll be in a virtual a virtual event, but we're going to have like a yoga teacher come and we'll be doing yoga in the morning and then we'll have like some a session where we discuss hair and do like different hairstyles the same thing for clean eating and so I just think that whoever is behind the brand has to think in a more diverse range right so if Tart wants to obviously they have black consumers. I'm one of their consumers because I've purchased things from them before and plenty of other black women or, and women of different shades purchase their products from Sephora and wherever else they sell their products. So it's just important to make sure that everyone that's in your, your buyer persona is represented.
0: The influencer one is interesting because I know a lot of A lot of marketing managers, you know, they think in terms of ROI and they think in terms of like just raw stats when they're picking influencers to work with, like who's going to give me the best return on my investment. And, you know, I think unfortunately, just for the influencer industry in general, there's a lot of questions about conversion and like true influence. And obviously, like just having a million followers doesn't necessarily mean that those followers convert. And I don't know, I would love to see some, some uh, stats on big influencers that, that these beauty brands pay to work with and bring on these brand trips. But, you know, like for sure
1: they're. Well, usually I would think that the brand has a specific like social media manager or influencer manager or advocate that they work with. And that person is in charge of gathering the influencers for these particular events and particular launches and all that good stuff on their social media. And so I would think that that person has to be, because you have different people that do different things within your company. And sometimes things can be overlooked if you have the wrong person on the team, right? And if you don't have someone who is is more modern, so to speak, because everything is not like it used to be, right? I would think that Tarte was a more inclusive brand because they're a, a newer brand. Um, I, I'm not sure how long they've been around, but I do know that they're not a brand that's been around since like the mid 1900s, right? Mm-hmm. Not a legacy brand. It's not a legacy pa- brand. So I would think that they would... Have enough sense to be inclusive and to have someone on their team. I would suggest that they would bring somebody onto their team that can help with inclusivity and kind of have that talk with their entire team. Right. Right. That was, yeah. So just keep that top of mind. Like when you're developing the formulas, it's like, okay, let's make sure that we can develop formulas for our entire audience. Let's make sure that we have enough influencers who are representative of all the different, the entire audience that we service. Right. Right. Absolutely.
0: So my next question starts off as a quote. (laughs) Diversity is a two-way street. There's an idea of what a Black brand is supposed to be and what it's supposed to represent, and that it is pigeonholed to just a certain community. So this quote is from an article on diversity and Black beauty brands from indie beauty publication, Beauty Independent, and it really got me thinking why do so many people see the phrase black-owned beauty as a signal that a brand is only for black women? And I guess I'm not specifically asking about brands that were created to fill a need for BIPOC women like around hair, for example, but like more in like color cosmetics or nail polish where like, you know, who, anyone can who wear the colors formula, but still that phrase means something to a lot of people.
1: I think that, a lot of Black brands come about because they are filling a hole. So that's one thing. But then you have the brands that are fulfilling a need for, that could work for anyone who has that particular problem, right? So it can seem like a pigeonhole when it's a Black brand and people say, well, because it's a Black brand, then that might be only for Black people. Right. And that's not necessarily the case.
0: I mean, that that's, I guess, what I'm interested. I mean, what, what's so interesting to me, because it look like look at your brand, for example, supplements and hair care, but be, because there is a connection between black owned brand hair care with being for a very specific hair type. But, you know, when you're selling vitamins and supplements, too, just for growth, that's for anyone. So, like, how how do you navigate that?
1: Exactly. Well, okay, so for me, navigation, when it comes to that, depends on your advertising and how you picture your brand. So, when I show my brand, and if I want to show that it includes various skin tones and various hair types, then I am going to show those hair types in my advertising. But in addition to that too, I also feel like you can show that in like your reviews, like for us, like our testimonials and reviews show various age ranges, various demographics, various hair types, because not only do we have a wide range in skin tone, we also have a wide range in age, right? Because some people feel like, well, this is a, we're kind of towards a younger audience or we're kind of towards an older audience. But a lot of times the key audience that you were looking for with your, with targeting for your brand may not necessarily be who purchases your brand. And so you have to keep that in mind and look into your indicators and look at the numbers to see like where your audience is coming from. And so really, that's what I recommend is in your advertising to show various ranges of hair types or shades if that's what your product is about. And if that's what your product can service. I think it's very kind of simple when it comes to that. If you want your product to be for various people, then show them that this product can work for them.
0: there's so much like subliminal messaging in advertising and that is one, I mean, that's not subliminal, but I, maybe it is in in this context because there is such an assumption around again, that, that phrase black owned brand. So yeah, the advertising is so important.
1: Yeah. And I feel like, okay, I feel like I'm a black owned brand. Shadabi is a black owned brand. (laughs) But at the same time, our products do work for various hair types. And we just try to show that when we get models or when we get influencers to utilize the product, I would like to show that this person can purchase my product but this person can too and this person can too because really at the well at the end of the day a majority of what's internal we need the same nutrients right we all we're all human we all need the same nutrients we all have various hair problems that we have to deal with in various hair textures but curly hair is not just african-american thing right there's other women of various races that have curly hair or who identify as various races that have curly hair. And so that's something that is addressed in your advertising.
0: Something has definitely changed in the last few weeks in regards to a call for everyone supporting black owned businesses. But in regards to beauty spaces that explicitly cater to darker skin or black hair, thinking more about like beauty retailers and e-tailers, how can non-black consumers support these businesses respectfully while acknowledging that these spaces are not necessarily made for them. And I I will add that I've been thinking about this a lot because there is a a really, really cute beauty shop in D.C. It's called the Brown Beauty Co-op, and it looks so cute. And I, I want to... I've always wanted to go in, but like, I don't want to, like, I almost feel like it's an intrusion if I go in. Does that make sense? Because it's like, this is, I have Sephora, I have Ulta. Like, again, it wasn't made for me in mind, but I still want to support and be respectful without feeling like an intruder, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. But... I think that's a different mindset that you might have to expand or or let go and think of it in a different way. Because if you go into this beauty retail store, you can go in there and just see what's in there and see if there's anything for you, anything for you to purchase. Because there's plenty of brands that have various offerings that work for all different hair types and all different skin types. And you probably will find something that you really like in there. And if not, even just go in to connect with the owner and just give a nice word and say, hey, I just stopped by your shop. I thought it was like super cute. Um, I've been wanting to go come in and I just wanted to give my word of support. And that's, always goes a long way too. And then if you purchase things there or you stop in often, that makes a person feel, especially the owner, feel like they're being supported. Because everything doesn't have to be like necessarily catered to you to support it. That's a good point that
0: like I I personally need to change my mindset about
1: like going in. Yeah. And I and I feel like that like for myself personally. And for other Black brands, Black-owned brands, I definitely think that when you have a brand, it's a service. You're serving the world. You're serving the community. And with that in mind, I think about everyone needs certain things, like from the basic things in life, from like when we ran out of toilet paper, right? (laughs) During COVID, like we can all, contribute to the basic necessities and even the more luxurious necessities that the world needs. So for my brand, yes, definitely I'm going to have women like my that look like myself represented. But I also want to show that not only am I represented, but and people that look like me are represented, but other people of other hair types can also utilize my products too because number 1 that brings more Funds into our communities.
0: It's so interesting that you have that perspective because I, I don't think that white-owned or like the bigger brands do, and I guess it's because you've been living on the other end of that, right? Where. Where you, you walk into a store so, and it's not inclusive. You don't see yourself. So as you're creating your brand,
1: that's, on the, that's like what you're thinking about as you're building your business. Exactly. <laughs> a dollar is fill a dollar no matter where it comes from. And so therefore, we have to start being of service and which we are, but continue to be of service and keep that open mind that our brands can service the world. That's great. I'm going to look at your website closer now.
0: I was stalking before our recording and I'm really excited to see all of this, this marketing that we've been talking about. And yeah, thank you so much, Elizabeth. This
1: was a great conversation. You're welcome. Thank you, Juliana. I appreciate you having me on your show. Thanks so much, Elizabeth.